Well, thank you. I am excited to have the opportunity to talk with you all tonight and honored and a little intimidated by the resumes of all the young people in the room, not to mention um, the others in the room who are here to speak with you over the coming couple of days. Um, I've been rethinking through dinner exactly what it is that um, I want to share with you tonight and thought that I would share three thoughts um, based on my last now almost 17 years um, in this endeavor. The first thought is actually about the power of inexperience, um, which as I look back on my last 15 years in this, I, I really believe were both, was both my very greatest asset when I was first starting out, and is in many ways the reason Teach for America exists at all today. And, and even beyond my own kind of personal experience in this, as I look at um, the people straight out of college who are teaching in our country's most under-resourced communities, and as they watch them as they go on as sort of young leaders to work to take on some of the fundamental issues that they see during their two years, I'm consistently reminded of the power of youth and inexperience, particularly in the face of entrenched issues. So I think back to, you know, now 17 years ago when I was a college senior, we were known as the me generation. I mean, you would never remember this, most of you, because you were very young at the time, but all the media, everyone, they just thought, this generation just wants to make a lot of money, uh, work on Wall Street, lead plush lives. And as a college senior, I was sitting there thinking, not the people I know. I feel like I'm surrounded by all sorts of talented, driven people who are searching you know, for a way to make a social impact we don't see the opportunities. The only recruiters are investment banks and management consulting firms. And one day, um, really probably at some level, my naivete led me to think of a question, you know, why aren't we recruiting people as aggressively to teach in low-income communities as we were being recruited at the time to work on Wall Street? Um, I needed a thesis topic at the time and ended up um, creating in that thesis a plan for launching a national teacher corps um, that would do just that. And in the thesis, you know, part of the kind of fundamental plan was that this had to start at a certain scale, that, you know, if we recruited just a few people to do this, it wouldn't really work, that we needed to get thousands of people right off the bat to apply, and, and hundreds of them, no fewer than 500, I thought, to sign up to actually do this in order to communicate the sense of national importance and the sense of urgency that would lead the most highly sought after graduating seniors um, to decide to actually do this. Um, and so I developed a plan for that, which um, came along with a budget saying, you know, this was gonna cost two and a half million dollars to do. And I was so caught up in this idea and so convinced that it would have a real impact in the short run in the lives of the kids the people we would recruit would teach. And also in the long run, I thought, if, if this is the first thing out of college that all these future leaders do, that will shape their perspective, and in turn, that will shape our national consciousness. I was very caught up in the whole thing, so I turned in the thesis with sort of the last line saying, and I'm going to start this, um, <clears throat> to which my 
very experienced and very wise thesis advisor, you know, called me into his office and said, in a very, you know, uh, well, he, he, he knew what he was doing and he was very confident. He said, do you know how hard it is to raise $2,500, let alone $2.5 million that I thought it was going to cost to do this just in the first year? And, you know, such good advice and yet it just sort of went in one ear and out the other and I thought, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and thank heaven, you know, for my naivete um, because, because I didn't know that. I went out and, you know, somehow um, in the course of the next 12 months, um, 2,500 graduating seniors competed to teach in low-income communities, hundreds of experienced teachers who were impressed by this outpouring of idealism from the me generation said we want to help train them, school systems across the country said we want to hire them, and corporations and foundations came up with two and a half million dollars to cover the cost. So one year after I graduated, I was looking out on an auditorium full of 489 Teach for America Corps members who were about to embark on their first year. I very, very quickly learned the power of experience, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I really, truly believe we wouldn't have Teach for America today if it weren't for my inexperience. Um, <clears throat> I think about even a couple of Teach for America Corps members who I've had the chance to meet lately, um, somewhat randomly, but just two who I happen to come across in different areas where I've been, you know, speaking and, and working, um, who are just finishing their two years and some of the stories that they've told me. Um, I just met a woman named Emily Barton who just is finishing her two years of teaching in Opelousas, Louisiana. It's right outside of New Orleans. Um, and she was telling me about her year um, and about how it ended up. And she said, you know, I got these eighth graders, she's teaching math, and when they came into her class at the beginning of the year, she realized that they were where fifth graders should be. And she just thought, this is unacceptable. I'm going to get them all where they should be at the end of eighth grade. Now, when you think about that, it takes a certain level of naivete, right? I mean, the rest of the world knows if you've got eighth graders and they're at the fifth grade level, how far can you get them in a single year? But she said, you know what? By the end of the year, she tells her kids, if you work harder than you've ever worked, by the end of the year, you will be where eighth graders should be. I mean, that takes a level of boldness, right? Like she's telling, she's sort of putting herself out there for these kids and saying, believe in me, work with me, and believe in yourself, and, and you'll get there. And she had just, the day I met her, her, the test results for her kids had come back the day before, and she said, it's actually surreal to me what's happening right now, but my eighth graders are walking around on campus and saying, hey, to their friends, I'm on grade level in math. Her kids, on average, move three grade levels in one year. I think about this other guy who I met just a few weeks ago in Phoenix, Arizona, who told me of, uh, another entertaining at some level and inspiring at another level story about his experience. He was a cognitive neuroscience major from Berkeley. The vice principal of his school saw that and uh, called him the day before school started and said, we're thinking, given your major and all, that we should change your placement. And what we'd like to do is actually create a class that's comprised of all the seniors in the school who have, on two different occasions, failed to pass the exit exam in math. And we're thinking that what you should try to do is 
in the semester you have with them, this is a semester-long course he was asked to create from scratch, get them up to where they need to be to pass the exit exam and pass. And um, so some of his kids were there because they hadn't passed algebra. Some were there because they hadn't, you know, mastered geometry. And um, he did what only the most naive person could do, which is say, okay, in one semester, I'm going to get all my kids to pass this exit exam. Um, set out to do it, and, and essentially, every one of his kids just graduated. Um, and, and as he tells it, the thing that he finds so outrageous is that 5,000 seniors in Arizona didn't graduate because they couldn't pass that exit exam. So he learned by asking questions, perhaps born of naivete and inexperience and the boldness that comes along with that, he discovered um, that you know, his kids could, in fact, do this. Um, and, and as a result, is probably never going to do anything but work in this realm of education because he just realizes how short-changed ki you know, other kids, those thousands of other kids, were. Um, so I guess that's, that's thought number one, is the power of inexperience.